0: Children may be dism- dismissed in the back with our volunteers as they go to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain uh, here in person and on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 103. We sang this Psalm uh, to open the service. Now we will read and consider it. This is God's Word Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray that the Lord might teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would reveal your word to us and teach us and remind us why you are so worthy of worship, that we might be a people who worship you with all our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have seen in the news lately all the, the excitement over the new pictures from the, the new space telescope that's allowed us to see much further than we could ever see, and just all the new mysteries that that might reveal. And it's just incredible to consider how much work went into getting this new telescope designed and built and in orbit. And so many things could have gone wrong, but when things work, they're glorious. And yet, I couldn't help but remember that when things go wrong, they go really, really wrong. In 1999, NASA lost a $125 million Mars Climate Orbiter, and that's in 1999 dollars. That's probably like $3 billion today, because the engineers forgot to convert from English to metric when they were doing some transfer of information and It's gone. We don't know where it is. Maybe it burned up in orbit. Maybe it's on its way to Alpha Centauri. It's lost. When things go really well, it's almost transcendent. When things go wrong, even if it's as small as forgetting to convert your units, it can end in disaster. Worship is a little bit like
1: that. When we enter
0: worship, when we come into the presence of the Lord with, with a worldly system of understanding, with an a, a, a earthly frame of mind, it can lead us on a path that could
1: ultimately destroy us.
0: But right worship the worship that God invites us into, the worship that God calls us to be about, that kind of worship, we can't enter into it and remain the same as when we entered in because what worship does when it's working well, when the Holy Spirit is active, it redirects our souls, our whole selves to the praise and the glory of God and all that we have. And all that we are. So, how can we be a people who enter into that kind of worship that is transcendent and glorious? We'll consider four things this morning from this psalm. We're going to consider our basis for our identity, who we think we are. We're going to consider our basis for our worth. We're going to consider the, the basis for our belonging, our connection to God and one another. And we're going to consider the basis for our calling and purpose in life. Our identity, our worth, our belonging, our calling. We're going to consider each of these things this morning. And the first thing I want us to do as we look at verses 1 through 5 is, is to consider your basis for your identity are you? And who gets to decide? This is a question that is really raging, whether you realize it or not, in our culture today. Are you supposed to figure it out yourself? Is, is, is who you are something that is an in, 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 internal discovery? Or, or is it something that, that comes from the outside? Somebody else declares who you are. And we seem to rail against each of those. I remember one time, one time when my mom asked the question, who do you think you are? And you can just read into what context that question might be asked in. And I thought I would be so smart and say something like the roadrunner, beep, beep, and run off. It's a Looney Tunes reference for those of you who don't know what that is. But um, yeah, that, that didn't work, right? Like, I might have sincerely believed in my heart that I was the roadrunner. I'm sure there was a time in life that I wanted to grow up and be the roadrunner, but I had no external validation from my mother that that was ever, ever going to be true. Our culture is one where we want to say, this is who I am. I'm free of your judgment. I'm free of your uh, persecution, your oppression. This is who I am. And, and we say it in terms of calling, in terms of sexuality, in terms of gender, in terms of hobbies, in terms of just whatever, politics, or you name it. This is who I am. And yet, inevitably, when we say that, we also find ourselves in a place where we need that external validation. And so we're in a culture where people are wanting to say, I'm free of your judgment. This is who I am. And you have to validate me, and if you don't, I'm going to judge you. It just doesn't work, and that's why we're tearing ourselves apart. We're in a, a series where we're studying what the Psalms say about worship. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at what it means to worship the Lord with all our hearts. And, and today we're looking at what it means to worship the Lord with all our soul. And these are, of course, overlapping concepts in Scripture. But if the heart has its focus on on what you love, the the core and center of your being. The soul has its focus on who you are, yourself, your whole self. And it can even include your body, as we are embodied souls, immortal souls. And as David,
1: throughout the Psalms, wrestles with who
0: he is, where he belongs, what he's called to do and to be. You see in his Psalms, even in this one, time and time and time again, he calls his inner self to go back to the Lord. Learn from him who you are in his sight. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Consider who He is, what He's done, the benefits and the glories and the blessings that He gives to you. How He is overflowing with forgiveness and healing, who redeems your very life from the pit. You want to know who you are. Who you are hinges on whose you and if you are dependent on someone else's verdict to validate your inner conception of yourself, you will always be a slave to them, to this, a slave to the opinions of men, to the opinions of the internet, to the opinions of the likes, to the opinions of the media. And you will never, ever be free. When you recognize that
1: you are the Lord, It frees you to be who he created you to be. It's so hard for us to grasp this. Certainly, there's just a lot of confusion in the world. There
0: are all these competing messages. You're going to leave here this morning, and if you turn on your radio or listen to a podcast or pick up a book or watch the news, You're going to be bombarded with all sorts of different messages about who you should be and what you should think and how you should live. Who's right? How do you know? It's confusing. Of course, we have our own sin and frailty that the psalm doesn't avoid talking about.
1: We have our own tendency to just get lost. Not really remember or
0: consider whose we are. But what worship does, when we come into worship, not clinging to that worldly frame of reference, when we come into worship and humbly submit ourselves to the Lord, when we direct our souls, our whole being to Him, to who He is, to what He's done, it redirects all that we are to find
1: our Meaning, our belonging,
0: our identity in Him. The one who made us. The one who loves us. The one who redeems us.
1: And it sets us up to leave this place renewed by the goodness of God. We might soar
0: as on wings of eagles. It's interesting how this psalm is quoted in Isaiah 40, which is quoted in the New Testament. Like, Scripture just keeps going back again and again to these themes. We need to consider who we are in light of whose
1: we are. And that would
0: help us to consider rightly our basis for worth not just enough to know who we are but, but what am i worth do i have any value or importance at all whatsoever and all too often we find our worth in what we do i was reading with some chuckling at all these ridiculous guinness world records you know the guinness book of world records for having the most simpsons tattoos the guinness Book of World Records record for eating a burrito the fastest. I haven't entered that competition. Apparently, it just like every I guess everybody wants to stand out. Everybody wants to be important. Everybody wants to to have them, their being, their worth confirmed. And if it means they have to get sixty seven thousand tattoos of Homer Simpson, I guess they'll do it. But what? David
1: recognizes in verses 6 through 14 is just how weak we are. How everything
0: we have is, is, is frail. We're dust. There's not a kingdom that will stand forever that is made by a man. We are sinful. Even the good things we do are corrupted by our own wickedness and selfishness. And if our worthiness was measured by our contributions to the universe, we
1: would be in deficit.
0: But David isn't focusing in these verses on his weakness, on his frailty on his sinfulness, on his wickedness. His focus throughout is on all that God does for such a weak, frail, and sinful people. That God would reveal himself again and again, that he would free the oppressed, that he would work righteousness, that he would make his ways known to those who were wayward, that he would redeem them from the pit, that he would save them, that he would not burn with anger against them forever and he would not deal with them according to their sins, but would remove their sins as far from them as the east is from the west. The Lord would look upon them as a father looks on his children with compassion and to love and to care. That he would not remain high and exalted in the heavens, distant and afar from such a wicked people, but that he would come and seek and save the lost, taking on the form of a man, being obedient even to the point of death. But in the person of the Lord Jesus, he would bear in himself all of our weakness and all of our frailty and all of our sin and all of our guilt so that we could be holy is and in that God reveals that our worth hinges very little on what we do. But see how much we are worth to our God who has given everything, even his only begotten son, for us.
1: We live in a culture that is
0: committed to establishing its own worth. How high is your GPA? How far did you get in that project at work? What do you bring home net? How nice is your car? How big is your house? We live in a meritocracy that is always competing, always trying to get more, to be more worthy, and at the same time, All meaning and all purpose just seems to have been sucked out of that pursuit of more and more and more. When we enter into worship with that frame of mind that we need more and more and more, we come to God as consumers. Come to God demanding He give us something. Coming to God saying, it's not enough, we need more. Validate me. Give to me. When we come into worship rightly, considering the glory of who He is, calling on our souls to behold the majesty of God, it redirects us to the only one who is worthy of any praise, of any glory, of any blessing. Yet it reminds us that that God who is perfect and holy and righteous has given everything for us because he makes us worthy. We also, we are to enter into worship rightly. should not simply consider who we are or what we're worth, but we should consider our basis for belonging. Often we answer the question, who are we, based on our connections, based on the community that we are in. On the one hand, we want to be individuals, individualistic. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to earn a lot. I'm going to get the high GPA. I'm going to show my worth. And on the other hand, we want to belong. We want the comfort of relationships and, and connection. This is why if you go on Facebook, you will find a Facebook group for anything. Make something up. And if you can't find a Facebook group for that thing, start one and I give you three months before it's full. Just, we want to connect to people who are like us. Yet, every time we try to build something, it falls apart. Man is like grass. Everything that we build, everything that we construct, it doesn't last. Every kingdom we've established, will pass away.
1: Because we're fleeting. No matter how great your legacy is, it's not great enough to last for eternity. Yet, David calls on his
0: soul not not to find in that frailty and and transitory nature of our being something to be sad about. Instead, he calls us to consider the Lord who is eternal, whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting whose kingdom rules over all and has been established and will not pass away. And it's this God who invites us into that kingdom to be a part of that holy family so that His love that is from everlasting to everlasting will continue to be on us because He has the power to give us life that does not end.
1: We don't belong to one another because we're all alike. We don't belong to one
0: another Because we always get along. We belong to one another because the eternal God whose steadfast love knows no end has called us together, has knit us together, has built us together in the power of His Spirit to be united, not by race, not by class, by gender, not by background, not by hobbies, not by work, not by wealth, not by anything, the precious and glorious Lord Jesus Christ in whom we are united by faith and the power of the Spirit. And
1: that can never be torn apart, can never be undone, can never be torn down. We belong to a lot of things. Maybe you're in some clubs. Maybe you're a citizen of the United States or elsewhere. Maybe you live in a neighborhood or an apartment complex.
0: You belong to a particular family. Some of them are great. Some of them aren't so great. Some of them you are excited to be a part of. Some of them have their better days and their worst days. And all of those, what the psalmist recognizes is that when we come into worship, grasping onto those earthly things and letting them define who we are and what God is capable of doing in our relationships, in our communities, the path to destruction, the right worship, worship that directs its soul to the Lord, sees that He is the one who's brought us together. He is able to heal brokenness. He is able to cure Everything that would ail us, he is able to work through even the greatest of difficulties to knit us together. So that when eternity comes and we stand with him in glory, we will look around and we will rejoice. Because what God has put together, no one could apart.
1: We belong to him
0: because of all of this, we have a high and holy purpose. Sometimes we find our identity not in the things that we should. We find it in what we do. We find it in where we belong, or we find it in in our responsibilities. We need a purpose. Like children playing house, they always take on these responsibilities because they feel like that's what life's about. I was listening to an interview with an atheist this week and uh, was taken aback. How he was honest that, that we have a crisis of meaning and purpose and we need to recapture it. And, and I'm an atheist, but there's something about faith. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're
1: so close. Here,
0: to close out this psalm, David calls on the angels, on the ministers, on all his works, wherever the Lord reigns, he calls on all of them to recognize. Their high and holy purpose is to glorify the Lord who's lifted them up out of the pit, who's knit them together, who has shown them how how much they are worth Him. Our lives are to be devoted to glorify and enjoy this God forever. And every other responsibility that we have as parents, Spouses, employees or employers, church members, community members, just people. Every other responsibility we have, it derives its meaning from that high and holy purpose that the God who made the cosmos, all of those galaxies that we are now getting a glimpse of a few more of, all of this glory and wonder, the God who made all of these things, he made us To shine forth with his image, with his glory, and to enjoy the fellowship of his presence forever. And every other responsibility we have finds its meaning and its significance in that. So we need desperately. If we are to be a people who are free, who know who we are, who to find our worth and our connection and our calling and our purpose in the Lord, we are to be a people then who love, to worship. Because it's in worship we can redirect our souls, our whole being, to the glory of who God is. That we might be reminded and renewed in Him, that we might pour forth in word and in deed with blessing and And honor and glory for Him.
1: Pray with me. Heavenly Father,
0: teach us to worship You with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength. That we might be a people who shine forth with Your glory that we might be a people who know your goodness, that we might be a people who are not enslaved by any power or principality that this world could produce, that we would be your people.
1: You would be our Heavenly Father, that we would know your everlasting and
0: steadfast love now and forever do this work that you might be exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.